Welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. This podcast is a project by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution to increase the avenues where we can connect. This week, I'm sitting with Gary Miles to discuss how active listening can benefit your mediation practice, the barriers to effective listening, the price of poor listening, how to listen effectively, and the gifts of good listening. Gary has been practicing law for more than four decades. He has been a trial lawyer, a managing partner, a leader, and an entrepreneur. He loves helping folks solve their problems and is passionate about showing people how to free themselves from the prisons that entrap them, whether that is financial, emotional, or physical. So many lawyers are stressed and overwhelmed in their practice. Gary provides tangible, practical tools to help his clients overcome their obstacles, freeing them to enjoy the success and fulfillment they have always craved. Welcome, Gary. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. I really, really appreciate that. And and I thank you for the opportunity to share some thoughts about the importance of really being an effective listener in our mediation practice, in our law firms, in our life, really. I think, you know, uh, listening is, is one of the um, probably the most important aspects of uh, being a good mediator. And uh, before we get started with um, specifically how it can, can benefit your mediation practice, one thing I'd just like to ask you is, uh, do you think, well, if, if we could categorize the, the two main types of mediation into those that are facilitative mediators and those are evaluative mediators, do you think uh, evaluative mediators tend to have maybe a, a harder time listening just because they're used to giving their opinion more than a facilitative mediator? Uh, absolutely. I, I think being an effective listener is just as important in that. But my experience is the evaluative mediators and some who I don't necessarily call the mediation myself, um, who, who sort of do settlement conferences, they tend to want to tell people things instead of hear them. Right. And they could even do that style of mediation or ADR in a more effective way if they listen better. How can active listening benefit your mediation practice? Yeah, the best example I can give is I have served as a settlement officer for one of the court systems in Maryland for years until recently when I relocated to Pinehurst, North Carolina, and I could no longer do it. Sadly, even when we were uh, remote, I had to drive to the darn courthouse, which was 30 miles away, get on their phone system and do it on their phone system uh, when everyone else is back in their office. But now that they're back in person, I moved to North Carolina. I can no longer do it. But I used to go up there about every other Friday. And they weren't encouraging facilitative mediation. Uh, and that wasn't what they did. I was supposed to be more like a settlement judge. But having said that, I conducted it much more like a facilitative mediation, depending on the kind of case it was. So if I had, for example, a real estate dispute where folks were really personally invested in the outcome, as compared to a motor vehicle accident where insurance companies just say, this is our number and that's what it is. Um, I found that when I really listened to both parties, I would almost always get a good result. My, my settlement results were so much better than the other settlement officers up there because I listened so carefully. And even when I didn't listen, and even when I thought one party was way off in their position, internally, I thought that, I'd come out and each side would say to me separately, wow, you were so good. I really liked you. I'm so glad you handled it. And, and that's even when they were unsuccessful. They hated the other party, 
for some, hated might be too strong of a word. They had very strong feelings of hostility towards the other party. But both parties came out and thanked me um, for what I did. And the only difference between that and everyone else was I gave everyone a chance to be heard and really listened to. Because so often, and I've seen this in the personal injury cases I've done as an attorney, so often a, a party wants to be heard. Sometimes the lawyers, their lawyers don't really listen to them. I don't think lawyers by nature are good listeners. We're good talkers. We like to give advice. We're not by nature empathetic listeners. And clients might not have been heard by their lawyer. They aren't going to really be heard by the jury. Their jury's just going to give a number or nothing. Judges want to take control. And so when they get before a mediator, to really have someone who is focused on them and their needs and what happened to them and how it made them feel can make all the difference in the world between a successive, successful and unsuccessful mediation. Yeah, no, in, in the, the personal injury cases that you brought up, I think are a real perfect example of maybe some of the problems we see in, in barriers to resolution. Uh, there's definitely value, I think, especially in listening to what the victim has to say, kind of what they've been through, as opposed to having their attorney tell you everything that they've been through. Uh, and, you know, we, we get these. So obviously, it sounds like you'd be a, a fan of the joint caucusing sessions, if you will, um, as opposed to keeping the parties completely separate the entire time, because sometimes the parties all need to be in the room together and they need to listen to uh, the victim and, and, and see the victim and, and understand what it is that they're going through. What you speak of as far as, you know, uh, mandatory settlement conferences and whatnot, the so-called uh, early neutral evaluations. I think that's what we're using as the scientific term for them these days. Um, I definitely think there's a space for early neutral evaluations, um, especially, hence the term early, uh, early in the case to see if um, you can evolve, um, avoid, you know, complicated, expensive discovery and unnecessary delays, especially on smaller cases. But, you know, I think one of the real dangers uh, with some mediators that, let's say, have mediated 5,000 auto accident cases or slip and falls or medical malpractice, whatnot. I mean, how many different types of auto accidents can you have, right? And then you start getting these mediators that might be kind of phoning it in, right? They're going to be like, well, this is just another uh, rear end accident. Uh, there's soft tissue damage that may or may not be visible on some sort of imaging. Uh, there's no surgical remedy to this, you know, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to put an exact figure on, on future pain and suffering and things like that. Um, so I'm just going to tell the parties uh, what I think the number should be and uh, say this case is just like every other single case I've seen. But really, as you know, Gary, every case is different, right? And we need to, to, to listen to folks and we need to treat every case as if it's a new case and we haven't seen the same thing a million times before. Um, that, so. That's really so true, Aaron. I, I couldn't agree more. Each case is different, and um, it's largely different on the plaintiff and how they come across and how the jury will see them. I do like to have a joint caucus to begin, at least, because I want the defendant and the insurance company and defense lawyer to actually see the plaintiff and to hear the pain that they went through or not. Um, and it also does help when that person gets to verbalize their feelings of pain and hurt and loss, 
um, it helps them to be a little more willing to settle for a fair figure. So I think it is beneficial. Then I will often split people up after that because there may be confidential things. They want to tell me that wouldn't be aware from looking at the court file or from the submissions. Give me some of the barriers to effective listening, some of the problems. Sure. And these really apply both in, in mediation and, and in real life or meeting with a client or being in court. The one is we always want to speak first. And I know I have a tendency to do this. Sometimes I really have to zip my lips when I'm doing a mediation because my human tendency, I think very fast, I'm smart. And Aaron, when you go to talk, I almost want to jump in and finish your sentence for you. And that's really um, inappropriate. I have to leave it in the office too. It doesn't help when I do it at home. I have to leave it in the office. So I think one of the main things is so many of us lawyers, because we're quick thinkers, very analytical, we often want to interrupt someone and speak and, and share whatever our, our views or agenda are. Um, sometimes we have negative opinions of the other person or of the topic. And it's so important as mediators that we remain neutral. Um, and having said that, it's happened to me where I get some papers from both sides and I, I can kind of see that there's one party at fault for the fact that we are where we are and that one party seems a little more unreasonable. But I have to really disassociate whatever thoughts I have about one of the parties to the case to really be an effective listener. I, I can't be listening to him saying, you know, that's just not real. That's exaggerated. I, I have to really focus on them and and put our own thoughts aside. Um, this doesn't usually happen in mediation. Um, at least I hope it doesn't. But sometimes we multitask. Um, in, in real life, uh, you know, you talk to someone and pick up the phone, or 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 they're working on a file, and um, I do know that sometimes we aren't focused at, as much as we should be um, in mediation. The other and, is, go ahead. So I was just going to say, you, well, uh, you, you had mentioned uh, just attorneys have a natural tendency to want to sometimes interject or cut people off and, and whatnot. And I think a lot of that comes from uh, if you're a trial attorney and you actually try cases in front of a, a judge and a jury, uh, you're used to making objections, right? Right. And the second the other side says something that you even slightly disagree with, you feel that you need to stop listening and start talking and try to rectify that situation. And, you know, uh, um, once again, I cut you off because I'm an attorney too, right? But um, just what do you think are some ways that trial attorneys that are used to being in court can condition themselves to kind of break that habit when it comes to having a success, successful mediation? I think to pause and reflect. When I feel that tendency to interrupt, to interject, or when I feel a sense of mental thought of, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Is that person really saying that? That doesn't make sense. When those thoughts, I have to wash them out and just really listen and, and make sure that I understand what the person is saying, what their, what their feelings were. Because part of the trouble is, for me, and probably for many lawyers, our brain thinks so much faster than the other person speaks. Um, I don't know what the study is on, but I know we think a whole lot faster than someone can speak. And so our mind is getting ahead of them. We're finishing their thought. We're responding to it mentally. 
we're arguing with it mentally, and we need to just slow down, take a, take a breath, recompose ourselves, and give that person 100% attention. We, we are expected to be in our neutrals. And, and that's not only in our demeanor, which probably most of us are pretty good at, but also in our internal thoughts. We can't be judgmental. We can't be questioning what they're saying like it's not true. We have to really let them be, let them express, and, and to be receptacles of what they have to say. Now, now you mentioned um, some of the, the barriers to um, mediators and uh, effective listening. Obviously, you know, the attorney's counsel uh, is no better at listening. Do you have any advice? And often, often much worse, probably. Often much worse, yes. Because part worse. of our training is we're learned to be, we learn to be listeners. We're not deciders. We're not really even supposed to be problem solvers. We're, we're supposed to be facilitators. So, so with that said, and I, you know, you talk about training, I'd love to make mediation training or some sort of settlement, you know, negotiation training mandatory for like all law students. I really think this is an important skill, but assuming we can't <laughs> send every attorney we work with to that a uh, 40 hour mediation certificate training program that various states offer before the mediation, uh, how do you, I guess you can't say teach counsel how to listen, but how do you facilitate better listening on their, their end? If I'm the, if I'm the mediator, how do I do that? Yeah. So, um, you know, it happens mostly in, in joint caucus. Um, so if, if you represent the plaintiff and, and you express a summary of the case, and then I may say, you know, Mrs. Plaintiff, tell me, tell me how this affected you. And, and when the other lawyer um, interjects, I, I just sort of, you know, call him out. Um, please stop, Mr. Jones. I'd really like to hear what Mrs. Plaintiff has to say. It's very important. And I think it's probably important that you hear it as well. So let's, you'll have a chance to speak, just give her a chance to speak. But then when we go to solo sessions, I may say, you know, Jack, I know that you, you had some thoughts about that, that you wanted to share. Now's the time to share them. But, but know that if I listen to her very carefully, it's not necessarily because I'm on her side, it's because it's important that she be heard. And, and it's important that you allow her to be heard because that will help. So I kind of make him a partner in the process, if you will. By having them understand, sometimes, you know, the defense attorney might feel threatened if I give the Mrs. Plaintiff a good opportunity to express her, her views. And if I seem sympathetic to her, um, not being a trained mediator, he may think, oh, he's on her side. So I try to dissuade him from that when we meet in, in solo caucus. You know, um, you're from uh, North Carolina, so uh, you're probably a big basketball fan. And um... I um I I like to use kind of the the basketball timeout method to kind of uh, you know get people to kind of regroup when things are kind of going a little bit off the rails. If you watch a basketball game, uh, typically coaches will call timeouts when the other side has had a, a good run of points against them. Right. Typically, kind of break up the other side's momentum, if you will, and I think that's kind of great strategy in, in mediation. I think sometimes, you know, telling the parties time out, uh, we're going to take a 10 minute break here, go walk around the office or get a cup of coffee. And we need to 
to regroup, I think that can be a really effective strategy to kind of bring the parties back into listening mode and kind of calm their minds down, which are already running a thousand times ahead of kind of their listening. I think that's a great suggestion. I think that's a great suggestion. You know, part of the trouble that lawyers have who aren't trained in mediation is as trial lawyers, we're trained to interrupt. When the plaintiff is saying something we don't like, um, we find ways to, oh, he's already answered the question, or he's repeating himself, or that wasn't what was asked. We're always trying to interject to get the person off track. It's sort of a trial tactic, but it's a terrible mediation tactic. So those courtroom skills don't necessarily transfer over to mediation skills for the lawyer who represents one of the parties. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, so um, I now in my, my current position with the American Arbitration Association and the commercial division uh, handle almost exclusively uh, business to business type disputes where there's counsel on both sides and sophisticated business type people, you know, dealing with, with things. Um, so it, I've been away from, I guess, the tort world or the consumer world for, for a little while. Uh, do you find that, because you also um, mediate commercial disputes, do you yes. find when it's a, a business versus another business, uh, the parties and the attorneys are better at, at active listening? Or do you think sometimes it's just as bad as kind of the, the tort side? I don't know that they're necessarily better. I think when there's less emotion involved in the case, um, listening gets a little bit better. I think the commercial clients tend to be more analytical, more bottom line. Um, some of the most difficult matters I've had to mediate are real estate disputes between neighbors. I mean, it's crazy how intense their feelings are. So in those cases, it's really important that they be heard. But it's probably in the nature of businessmen generally to be better listeners to, to be engaged, um, and particularly because there's a little less emotion involved probably in those kinds of cases than in other cases. Outside of occasionally um, a trust in the state's dispute where let's say that there's a family partnership or something like that formed and that's what family members are fighting over, I rarely come across uh, inter-family type disputes. Um, but I know that obviously there are family law mediators out there and whatnot, and I could only imagine um, how stressful uh, those types of situations must be for the mediator and for the parties. Uh, do you have experience dealing with families and any kind of advice? Yes, so um, I have handled a number of family disputes arising out of the passing of someone. They're very intense. People are filled with a lot of distrust of the sort that you referenced. Um, and there's an incredible emotion there. I've also done family law mediations, although as the mediator, when I've done them, there are no lawyers involved. Um, it's meeting with the parties individually. And, you know, it's kind of sad, like the last one I did, they were, they, it was really, it was really a very, very, some very, very tough issues on both sides. There's a reason that one party had the right to feel a victim and be distrusting the other one. And they were trying to make it right. And there were some tough issues and we really made some headway, but then one just, you know, if they don't get their way, then they, they quit. Um, and it was sad to see that happen because then they get lawyers and they go into court and then they spend so much time and money and, and create more stress. So I have found that these active listening skills in a family mediation where there are no lawyers involved is very, very, very helpful. And, and really, and what I do there 
you know, so many times, for example, in commercial mediations that you're dealing with, everybody's talking about the past. This is what the company did. They didn't ship me on time or it came in damage, whatever. But in family mediation, they want to do that. They want to say, this is what he did to me, but I did that because, and I say, wait, wait a second. By the way, do you have pictures of your kids? Can, can I see the pictures of your children? Oh, wow, they're beautiful. What are your thoughts and dreams for the two of those two children as they grow up? And, and when they start to go back to the past, I try to refocus them on the future. You know, where do you, not what he did to her or she did to him, but, but what's a way that you can move forward and, and be good parents and both have places to live and really try to refocus them. So that's kind of the difference between a family law mediation and so many others, because what really is important is not the past, but the future. And in so many other, whether it's an accident case, a commercial case, anything of that nature, it's unique in that the future is what's far more important than what happened in the past. Discuss the price of, of poor listening. Maybe some of the- yeah, so, so when we are not good listeners, there are a couple of things that happen. As a mediator, if I'm not focused, if I'm not paying attention, if I'm mentally distracted, I'm going to not hear, I'm not going to understand what the party's saying. I'm not going to understand their position. I'm not going to pick up the nuances of what they're looking for and why. And I'll start to have assumptions in my mind that'll create uh, misunderstandings. If I don't listen to someone well, I wouldn't say their feelings are hurt, but they don't feel um, as engaged. They don't feel as heard. They don't feel as honored. And it can create, you know, distrust. Like what are, what is so profound to me is when I walk out of one of these mediations and both sides act like they love me, um, love in quotes, because they, they, they trust me. And in those, I would often offer some opinions because it's part of what I'm allowed to do. So it's more evaluative and they may or may not. But the fact that they like me and trust me when I speak or when I offer some thoughts, it really carries a lot more weight. And the other is if we don't listen to someone when they first start, the communication's gonna fall apart. And mediations often go for hours. And if we're in the first 10 minutes and the party feels like they haven't been heard, then the rest of the communication won't be very good either because they may just shut down and the whole mediation may fall apart because the party has, has closed up. Yes, I know our, our discussion this afternoon isn't necessarily on how to be an effective mediator, but you know, when I teach effective mediation skills, I do spend a lot of time on preparing for the mediation how you prepare for the mediation and the homework that you give the parties prior to the mediation. For example, a lot of mediators don't do pre-mediation conference calls or even calls individually with the parties. They just walk into the room. Maybe they've read the mediation brief. Maybe they haven't. And, you know, maybe the, if it's a full day mediation, I feel like the first two or three hours, the mediation might be wasted. Just the mediator trying to understand the case, which they could have understood if they spent a little bit of homework. Besides the homework that the mediator can do, what homework should the mediator give the parties in advance of the mediation session? You know, I don't, I guess in my family law mediations, I don't really give them much homework because when they walk in, I'm a blank slate. I really don't know what the issues are. If it's a case where someone's represented by counsel, then the homework I give is to the counsel rather than to the parties. I think the lawyers have some homework to do with their clients and some prep work um, about what the process is, about the roles of the respective parties, about expectations, um, you know, et cetera. But I would say um, when a party's represented, I don't give homework per se to the party. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, 
you're right. You're right. But I, but I meant giving homework to the to council or or the parties if they're not represented by council or, or both sets. But um, I feel I find preparation is key to having a successful mediation on mediation day. And if you don't prepare for the game, how are you going to win the game? Right. Right. So we've gotten to the point in our conversation. Uh, how does one listen effectively? Right. Um, and, and I've sort of touched on some of these things earlier when I talked about the problems. The first is to be completely aware. You know, I should be mindful about what my mindset is. I should be not only physically present, but I should really be mentally engaged and, and listening without any judgment, without any preconceived notions. I should be truly present. I should be looking the person in the eye. I shouldn't have any distractions. I shouldn't think about when this darn mediation's over, I hope to get out and play nine holes of golf. I should look at the person and maintain direct eye contact and, and not be distracted by anything else going on. If something's going on that is distracting, I, I ask that it, it stop. But I really need to give my undivided attention to that party who's speaking. I want to be attentive and I want to be relaxed, not distracted by any preconceived ideas. And I want to have an open mind. You know, sometimes when I get um, a mediation statement from both parties, I read them and, and sometimes I may be colored by them. I, I may have walk in and I try not to, but sometimes I may have even a subconscious thought about one of the parties. Maybe they're the ones who's responsible has gotten to this point or whatever. But it's really important when I'm present that person speaking to have an open mind and be open to what that person has to say. Um, without judgment, without jumping to conclusions. I should listen carefully, not interrupt, as you and I might both tend to do as, as attorneys. Um, and then if there's something they say that I don't understand, you know, I can ask a clarifying question. How did that make you feel when that happened? What happened next? Tell me about the distress that you felt. Get them to speak more in my questions contain some things that show some empathy for what they're going through. And, and to make sure that when they're finished speaking, I really understand we're good at speaking, we're good at articulating in a logical, coherent fashion. But a lot of parties who are emotional and under stress aren't. And there may be things we don't get. So I really like to ask clarifying questions that show to them, well, I understood you said this, that, and the other thing, but I'm not sure I understand this. Could you tell me more about that? You know, I always like the question, could you tell me more about? Because that really gets them to speak. And then I try to summarize back to them what they said. So, so this really affected you in these ways. And that really made you feel pain and, and loss and whatever it was they said. And when I summarize back their feelings, then they're like, yes, that's it. That's right. And they feel so much better. And then whatever their willingness to resolve the case has dramatically increased. Doesn't mean it'll happen. But their willingness to sell a case dramatically increased because they feel satisfied. They feel like they've been heard. You know, the last three years with COVID have been very challenging for a lot of folks in the ADR world. We all had to get used to switching to video mediation, video arbitration, video conference technology, doing things on the phone, whatnot. You know, there used to be something that, that would be said for getting the parties to actually get in their cars and drive to an office and show up for a mediation, it was a certain minimal level of commitment that each side had made that day to resolving right. a dispute. And that kind of all went out the window over the last couple of years with uh, COVID. As an ADR professional, as somebody who's mediated thousands of cases and has had to, at least for some percentage of your practice, 
switch to video mediation. Has it grown on you? Do you like it? Or are you one of these folks that can't wait for the day when things just go back to normal? Maybe it's showing my age. Um, I'm 67. I think Zoom works really well for a lot of things. But I think the commitment to be present in court really matters a lot. So when I handle cases for this county, they made, it's kind of ridiculous because when I had a personal injury case, they'd actually make the insured driver come, even though he had no input on anything, as well as the insurance company representative and, and both plaintiffs and counsel. They had to come. And if they did not come, I was to send them, like if the lawyer came without his client, literally I sent them up to see the judge. And they, it's a nicest county, the nicest people, but they're very strict about that. And when we switched to doing them on Zoom or telephone, it was so much less effective. And I don't know why, but I think there's a benefit to me to actually be present in person and feel their emotions. But I think it's also a real benefit for the other side to be present and feel those too. And I do think you're right about commitment that is shown by leaving your desk, getting in a car, driving across town, or I did work for one insurance company in the transportation industry, two actually, and they were located out of state and personal appearance was required. They would get in a plane, they'd fly to town, they'd stay at the hotel, I'd pick them up, I'd take them to court. And no judge would excuse them because they lived out of state. It was their obligation. And they believed that that commitment of coming to court made them more willing to be a real participant in the case. It's much easier to sit back at your desk and say, nah, that's too much, or we don't want to do that, or whatever. But that's been my experience. But I know that's not the experience of everyone. Yeah, one thing that I would, would have to say is, you mentioned distractions, and you don't want any distractions in the environment, so you'll kind of focus the task at hand and really be heard. We're talking about effective listening. And I think that's something that attorneys really have to discuss with their clients if they're going to be participating in the video mediation. Is your home a good environment for you to participate in the mediation from? What types of distractions they're going to be, whether it's uh, kids or phones or pets, all the, the normal things that we deal with at home, uh, or just some people, for whatever reason, can't focus in certain environment. Uh, there are lots of people that during the pandemic really missed going to the office because they felt that they got more work done when they were in the office as opposed to in their home office at home. I guess that's one thing I would. There certainly are distractions at home. I'm, I'm doing this from my home and I have two English Goldens and my one, we call her a diva. When she wants something, she's going to want it. You know, I can tell her I'm recording a podcast, but she won't really care. So that is, that is an issue. And then last, uh, you, you mentioned you wanted to discuss the, uh, the gifts of good listening. First of all, what do you mean by the gifts of good listening? That's an interesting way to describe it. The gifts of good listening are what we as mediators in, in that world or as lawyers in our legal work or as in family members gain from being you know, good listeners. And I think the one is that it really... When you're a good listener, you calm the fears and uncertainties of the other party. And, you know, we do mediations for a living or for trial lawyers. We attend in that role mediations for a living. The parties have never done that. They're afraid. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what it'll look like. We can explain it to them, but it kind of, they haven't experienced yet. It doesn't mean anything to them. And when we listen to them, um, the fear that they had, it's, oh, we're just having a conversation. I'm sharing how I feel when you're listening to it. It really helps to overcome that. It builds up trust between the speaker, between the party, and we as the mediator. 
And um, not that we're going to tell them what they should do, but when we ask a certain question, they will appreciate the question because they now know, like, and trust us. And, and it, it builds a sense of encouragement and empowerment to, to the party. And, and most importantly, furthers better communication. You know, getting a case settled, it's not just about everybody knowing the number is $100,000. That doesn't do it. it. It takes a process of speaking and being heard. And when people feel encouraged to speak, they're going to speak more. And the more they speak, the more there's an opening to get somewhere and get in getting the issues resolved. At least that's been my experience. Very good. So I was going to ask you, just thinking about something that you were discussing earlier, um, you've got four decades of legal experience. At this point. You've been an attorney for a little while. And at this point, you've gotten to practice with or be involved in cases with attorneys from a range of uh, age generations, if you will. Do you feel younger attorneys are, are better at worse at listening? Certainly, younger people today are more into technology. Um, I've heard that more people now are living alone than ever before, not necessarily young people, but a lot of people just don't interact with other folks anymore on a daily basis. Generationally, who do you think are the best listeners? Well, I think that's probably a little hard to answer that question about a whole generation. But the one thing I've really seen, and maybe this is actually an answer to your question, uh, the younger generation does not like to get on the phone and speak to someone. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, my, my son is my law partner. And I'll say, you know, buddy, call the other lawyer. And he sends him an email. And I've seen it in my family when there's an issue. Why don't you just call the person and see what the concern is? Well, no, I don't want to do that. So I think it's it, it it's easier for them to resort to sending an email in the professional context or a text in the personal context rather than speaking to someone. Maybe it's a fear of conflict. Maybe it's easier to and and so what I think that leads to is sometimes a harsher response. It's it's easier to put something in email that is either very strong, unkind, argumentative than it is in person. And I can think of one lawyer that I had, we, unfortunately, we had three cases with him. He was the nicest guy in person. But then he walked out and he sent you this letter, this email. It's like, what the heck? Yeah. And it got to the point where he would refuse to speak to me. And I think it's because he knew we would make progress when we spoke. And he didn't really want that. So he literally, I called his office once and again and again. I, and I dropped an email. I said, I know you're there from the message, but you're, he said, I will only communicate with you by letter. So I guess that tells me he's not a very good listener because everyone want to hear what I had to say. But I, I can't make a judgment about a whole generation, except I've seen that tendency very much that, that we younger generation much prefers to send emails than a call. And sadly, I was born in a generation when we actually typed letters on a typewriter, and they actually had typewriters. And we put in something called the mail, and we mailed them to somebody. Yep. And that was not an effect, efficient way to resolve an issue. Because I'd send you a letter. I don't know when you got it. Um, I don't know when you opened it. I don't know when you read it. And I don't know when you're going to send me a letter. You send me a letter back, it might be 10 days. So I grew up where you would just call and say, Aaron, what's going on? This, this is a concern. I haven't gotten these documents from you. Rather than sending a letter because... But now you'll get an email that says, if you don't answer this in two hours, I assume you agree with me. <laughs> Where's that come from? I don't really. 
Who are you to say I have to agree in two hours? You know, so that's the change. I think there's just too fast to resort to emails rather than personal calls. All right. Anything else uh, you'd like to close with uh, on the benefits of effective listening? No, I would just say if we all really try to focus on that and, and really give our time and attention to both parties, we'll find they really, really appreciate it. And nothing guarantees a case will go be resolved, but I do think the batting average will go up significantly if we do. Well, Gary, thank you for uh, spending some time with uh, me this afternoon. And I think people will really enjoy uh, your take on effective listening mediation. Like I said, I think it's extremely important uh, to be a good listener, uh, whether you're a facilitative uh, mediator or an evaluative mediator. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely.